What a privilege to be able to, to come and stand before you and share God's word with you today. But it's, a special, it's an especial privilege for me because uh, I'm standing before people who want what God wants. People who have, who have dedicated themselves to bring the gospel to children. Did you hear that number? 140 volunteers, and there were 144 kids. That's almost a one-to-one ratio. That's amazing. And also to, to stand before people who give so generously that we were able to, to fund 10 of our dodgeball guys to go up to a camp for a week of Christian teaching. Now those guys come from homes that mostly can't afford it. And because of your generosity, the church got to sponsor them and, and send them to that camp along with our own kids who are going and receiving the word of God. And then to see that group of people that are, are heading to South America on a mission trip, people who are willing to, to sacrifice and again, doing it because of your sacrifice and your generosity in supporting that mission trip. And they're going to represent Jesus Christ in South America, but also to represent Faith Community Church. So thank you all. Thank you for the way you give of your heart for the purpose of the gospel. And let's be in prayer for these things. So while they're going on a mission trip, uh, I wanna tell you, Denise and I like to go on vacations. And um, we, our favorite vacations have always been going to Florida. What we would do is we would leave usually in late afternoon, uh, we would, wake up or, or you know, we take a nap and wake up and in the cold February, icy covered Pocono Mountains and we would get in the car with our family and we'd drive through the night and in the morning we would arrive in Florida, palm trees and sunshine and shorts and flip-flops, it was beautiful. Those were our favorite trips. We did that year after year. And when we would plan those trips, uh, be, as we would start planning, I would be praying, Lord, help us. We want to know, is, is this the right time to go on a vacation? Is this how you want us to use our money this year? Uh, would you please guide us and, and show us the place where we should stay? And, and uh, just, just bringing it before the Lord. And so I want to give you just a, a quick, quick uh, uh, picture of what some of those vacations were like. Well, once we went down and we hit an ice storm in Virginia and we got stuck in Virginia. And in fact, the, the Virginians told us that they hadn't had an ice storm like that in 10 years. Another year we went down and we didn't even make it out of Pennsylvania before having a car accident and our car got towed home. Uh, one year I went down and I, I broke out, I think from the jacuzzi, I broke out in this, this horrible cellulitis infection in my face. I looked horrible and that was miserable. And then one year we went down and we were there for less than 24 hours and our house sitter called us and said, uh, your dog is sick. I brought him to the vet and the vet said he's probably gonna die within the next three days. So we got in the car and drove back that day. And then uh, last year we were planning to go down to Naples, Florida, and the day we were supposed to be there, Hurricane Ian hit. So I know that after the service, you'd all like to line up and schedule your vacation with me, right? <laughs> but I really struggled with that, like, Lord, I'm seeking you. I'm asking for your guidance. Is there something I missed that something, that all this stuff did happen? Like, Lord, were you speaking to me and I just didn't hear it? What, what was going on there? We all want God's guidance, don't we? 
We want to know how God will lead us, and we seek him for guidance. And today we're going to look, as we continue our study in 1 Samuel, we're going to look at some, some time in David's life where he learned some valuable lessons about guidance, about how God leads his people. And I hope we can learn it too. Pray with me as we open the word together. Oh Lord, we come to you needing you. We are, sometimes we just have a hard time hearing you. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding what you want. So Lord, show it to us. Reveal it to us today. Open up your word and open up our ears that we may hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I begin reading, let me just back you up. And in case you're here for the first time, King Saul is the king of Israel. And because of disobedience, God said that he would remove the kingship from Saul, but it would be a few years yet. King da- or David is not the king yet, though he was anointed king, he will become king. And his first act as king was to kill Goliath, the enemy of God's people. And since then, he has had one victory after another as a commander of Saul's army. Well, at this point, Saul is incredibly jealous of David and is spending most of his time chasing David down, trying to kill him. And so we pick up reading in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel in verse 10. And it starts out, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now, before we read on, I want to ask you, does anybody remember where Goliath was from? Gath. David ran to Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? See, David's reputation was before him. Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. Next slide, please. So he disguised his sanity. I love that wording. He disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving as a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Ah, so David, David, what are you doing? See, David is afraid. David, this is David who killed Goliath. David who has had victory after victory against the Philistines. And David's afraid of Saul. And so because he thinks to himself, well, the only place I could be safe will be outside of Saul's territory, so I must run to the enemy camp. So he runs to Gath of all places. Don't you think the people of Gath know who he is? Well, they surely do, and they're surely not going to be pleased that he is there. But David is desperate. He's afraid and desperate and makes this very unwise decision. And in fact, while he's in Gath, he's not there just acting like a madman out in the open. He was actually seized by them. He was captured and held in captivity there. And we know that because in Psalm 56, David wrote that psalm. And the, the heading of that psalm says when, that he wrote it when David was seized by the Philistines in Gath. So David is trapped and scared. And listen to his words from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. 
My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are evil against me. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. You see, David learned a lesson, didn't he? David learned. He was afraid, and because of his fear, he was making unwise decisions, rash decisions. But as he was in that situation, he learned that he needed to trust God, that he couldn't depend on his scheming anymore. He needed to trust the Lord. And for us, isn't it similar? You know, the Lord has given us an opportunity to live in a very difficult time. Think about that sentence. Opportunity and difficult time, they almost shouldn't be in the same sentence together. But we live in a time like no other, and the Lord has put us here in this time, in this place, in this moral culture or immoral culture, under this government, in this economic situation, the Lord has put us here. And we can be afraid and we can be distressed like David and we can make rash decisions like David. But the call is for us to trust God. This is an opportunity to learn to trust God like David did. He said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. What can man do to me? And that was really his theme when he fought Goliath, wasn't it? This is God's battle. What can man do to me? God's got this fight. But he had forgotten that since then. And he needed to remind himself in this situation, what can man do to me? You see, when we trust God, we can become effective ministers in our community, in the world situation that we're in. Because when we're trusting God, God uses people. who trust him. So that's our call this morning is to trust in God. Develop our trust in God as we face scary times. So David was captured and while he's captured he pretends to be insane. And it works because the king gets rid of him. The king says, don't I have enough madman here? Let's get rid of this one. We don't need him here. He sends David back. Well, while that was going on, David wrote another psalm. He wrote Psalm 34. In fact, the the heading of this psalm says that David wrote it when he was pretending to be insane. So David is in a circumstance here where he's going to learn something about fear. And we can learn it too. You see, when we fear the wrong things, we can become debilitated, we can become immobile, unused, paralyzed, We can act unwisely and make rash decisions, but when we direct our fear to God, he's able to use us. Listen to what David says in this psalm. He says, he delivered me from all my fears. See, all of David's fears, God delivered him from. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So now it's talking about putting the fear in the right place in God. Those who fear the Lord lack nothing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the cry. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. No one will be condemned who takes refuge 
in him. When we direct our fear to God, when God is the object of our fear, he gives us the power to put all of our other fears under control, under his control. Now when I talk about fear of God, I'm not talking about quite the same thing. Now for, for an unbeliever, the fear of God is for judgment because God will judge sin. But for the believer, we don't fear judgment because God has taken on the judgment himself. Through Jesus Christ, God took his judgment of sin upon him so it no longer falls on us. So what's our fear as believers? Our fear is reverence for this God who would be so powerful and yet so loving. Our fear is awe for the God who would speak to his people, people who don't deserve it, and yet he condescends to us That's what fear of God is. And when we put our fear in God, Jesus Christ encamps around us. Believer, are are you afraid sometimes? Do, Do you fear that your children will fall away from the Lord? Do you fear maybe financial future? Do you fear the world situation or fear sickness, getting that diagnosis or fearing death? Believer, when we put our fear in God, Jesus Christ encamps around us. We are fully secure. We are fully protected. We are fully enveloped in the love of Jesus. And he protects us. If fear is debilitating you or if fear is making you act in rash ways, then your fear is in the wrong thing. Take your fear away from the object that you're afraid of and put your fear in God. Because when you do, He gives all good things. He gives all good things to those who fear him. Those who fear him lack no good thing, the psalm says. Oh, let's put our reverence in all where it belongs, and then the fear of everything else falls into place. So back to 1 Samuel. Chapter 22 begins with with David running to the cave of Adullam, again, to escape Saul. Saul is after him. So he goes to Adullam. And while he's there, his family comes to him. And he said, because they realize that Saul is going to kill them. Just let me remind you, just a few chapters back, when Saul came to the town of Nob and found out that the priests aided David, Saul and his army, well, actually, it wasn't even them, but a, a, a Gentile at his command slaughtered the entire city. So people are afraid in Israel at this point. It is not a good place to be. So David's family comes to him for protection, but he says, you know, you're just not safe with me. I'm gonna send you to Moab. What's interesting about that is that Moab is the country of David's great-grandmother, Ruth. Remember Ruth? So David sends his family to the town of his great-grandmother where they will be safe outside of Israel. But also while he's in Adullam, about 400 people come to him. And listen to what it says in verse two of this chapter 22. It says, everyone who was in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Well, this reminds me of David's greater descendant, Jesus. Who came to Jesus? Those who were distressed, those who were in debt, those who were discontented. 
this is a good reminder. You know, Jesus calls to those who are distressed over their lives. He calls to those who are distressed over the circumstances that they live in or distressed in the corruption in the world or in our government, distressed over the difficulties in life. Jesus calls to you if you are that person. Jesus calls to those who are in debt and debt is just anything that we owe. Now, for, for, for then, it, it may have been certainly financial debt as well. It may have been a debt of slavery because that was a part of the economic system. A debt of slavery was owed. But also, it's talking about the debt of sin. The weight of sin that you and I and everyone bears. See, our sin weighs upon us and we owe something for it. We owe our lives but we can't give our lives. Our lives are not sufficient to pay the debt that is owed. I'm reminded of that song that says, I owe a debt I cannot pay, and he paid the debt he didn't owe. You see, Jesus paid the debt of sin for us. When Jesus came and died on the cross, it was to die in your place and my place, and then he died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, so you and I no longer no longer owe a debt of sin. As believers, when we put our trust in Jesus on the cross, that debt, that weight, that heaviness of sin that pulls us down has been removed and we no longer owe that debt. Do you know when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, it's a prayer of a desperate person saying, forgive my debt, I I can't pay it. There's no way I can pay the debt that stands against me. And so we cry out to Jesus to wipe it away. And he can, because he paid for it on the cross. And so when we pray that desperate prayer, forgive us our debts, Jesus wipes our sin away because we couldn't do it. And Jesus calls to the discontented, those who know that this life is just not going to fulfill them. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've already experienced that. You think life should be more than what it is. Hey, that's all of us. At some point in our lives, we come to the truth, the realization that life isn't going to give us everything we had planned on. It just doesn't. And so we grow discontented. Friend, if you are one of these, if you are distressed, if you are in debt, if you are discontented, Jesus is the answer for you. There's no other place you're gonna find that answer. Jesus calls people like that. He didn't call the wealthy. He didn't call the perfect. He didn't call the righteous. He called the discontented, those in a debt, those who who are distressed over their life. Weary traveler, you weren't meant to walk this road alone. Jesus came to walk that with you. He wants to walk it with you. He's inviting you, come with me, follow me. Jesus' favorite words, follow me. And you can do that this morning. And for those who have been believers, you know, when you follow the Lord a long time, you learn that Jesus is calling you to a higher standard. And as we become more and more righteous, we live by that higher standard. But something happens to us along the way. We can easily get arrogant and forget from where we came. And we start to judge the unbelievers and think they should act like us. They shouldn't, they shouldn't cuss. They shouldn't live that way, they, right? 
we start to judge them. But I'm here to tell you that if I wasn't a believer, I would act just that way. And I think you would too, if you're honest with yourself. And so we need to stop judging the world and start having pity for them and start realizing that we have the answer. We have that answer in Jesus Christ. It's only through him. But we need to be reminded of who we were when when we were called. Paul reminds us of this. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he says, I want you to consider who you were when you were called. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. Oh, believer, you and I were fools. You and I were weak. And look at what God has done for you. God is that good that he took you out of that situation and calls you to his beautiful higher standard. And as we live and follow him in our lives, we follow him more closely and we become more and more like him. That's because of the goodness of God. God is so good to us. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With everything that's in me, I will cry, Lord, you are good. I will sing of the goodness of God. That's how good God is, that he calls the foolish and the weak, you and me. We've been called by God. And so David was called as well. So David's next stop occurs in chapter 23 where he's called to the town of Keilah. So Keilah was under pressure from the Philistines. They were pressing in and they were stealing the food supply from the the residents of Keilah. So they called to David to rescue them, come and rescue them. And it's funny to me that they didn't call Saul. At least we don't have record of it. Maybe they called him and he didn't come. But it really was the king's job to come and rescue them from the Philistines. But David is going to learn something now that I think we can follow in this as well. Look at verse 2 in this chapter. It says, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. This is quite a change. See, David, who might be afraid to go and attack, instead of making a rash decision, Or instead of becoming immobile, which was Saul's go-to, right? We saw time after time Saul just paralyzed by his fear. David goes and asks the Lord. You see, he's practicing what he wrote in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I'm not going to trust in my scheming. I'm not going to trust in my wisdom, in my inability to see the situation for what it really is. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. See, David had three options. He could have said, one, first, "Mm, no, this ragtag group of 400 men, we can't fight against the Philistines. We'll never make it. He could have said, number two, yeah, I'm going to fight. I'm going to show Saul who's king. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to beat. He didn't do that either. Instead, he chose a third option, which is to inquire of the Lord. So he goes, he inquires of God, and God says, yes, go, fight the peop- fight for the people of Keilah. And the, so he comes and he tells his men, men, we're going to go fight the Philistines. And they say, are you crazy? We can't do that. And I love this because David takes that into consideration. What a good leader. 
He listens to his followers, and he goes back to the Lord. He says, Lord, the men are saying we shouldn't do it, but I, I just want to check with you again. The Lord said, no, you go. I will give you the victory. And sure enough, he did. He went, and he got the victory. It's just so simple. God said to do it. David and his men did it. God said to go, and David went. Why do we make it so much harder than that? We have a Bible full of instructions, and we equivocate, and we hem and haw, and we, we, I don't know, I don't know what I should do. It's here. Can we just be obedient? Because every time David is obedient, he hears the Lord. You see, every time David takes one more step in obedience, he hears the Lord more clearly. And it works that way with us. You know, uh, David just obeys. And God keeps speaking to him. And we're gonna see this over and over. So in verse seven of that chapter, Saul hears that David's in Keilah, and he decides to take his army down there. Well, I think it's kind of interesting that Saul wasn't there when the people of Keilah needed him to fight the Philistines, but he comes down, he brings his whole army to fight David. Quite a contrast we see, David seeking the Lord and Saul presuming upon the Lord. In fact, he even says, ah, good, David is trapped at Keilah. God has given him into my hands. He didn't know that God did that. In fact, God didn't do it, but he's presuming upon the Lord because he has shut his ears to hear what the Lord really has to say. So Saul didn't help Keilah. Instead, he goes down to fight David. David, the commander, one of the commanders of his armies. David, who's victorious. David, who slew Goliath. Saul is fighting him. In verse nine, David hears about Saul coming down, and he inquires of the Lord again. This time, he goes to Abiathar the priest. So remember we said that Saul had gone to the town of Nob and had wiped out everybody from that town, except for one man, Abiathar, the young priest, ran from that town and sought refuge with David and his men. So this time, David is inquiring of the Lord by going to Abiathar. And your Bible passage right there says, makes a, a note to say that Abiathar had the ephod with him. So let me explain this a little bit. Stay with me. The ephod is an outer garment, sort of like an apron. Remember, priests had a dirty job. They sacrificed animals. So they wore a, a heavy apron, uh, this ephod. Now the high priest's ephod was very special. It had 12 gems sewn into the breastplate. And each gem represented one of the family tribes of Israel. That ephod also had a pocket. And in the pocket was something called the Urim and the Thummim. Now we honestly don't know a whole lot about this. Uh, you read all these commentaries and nobody really knows. There are a lot of question marks. What on earth is a Urim and Thummim? But what we do know is that they were used to give guidance, especially on yes or no questions. So maybe it worked something like this. If you would ask the priest, I, I'm looking for God's guidance. David, I'm, I'm looking for God's guidance here. What do I do? And so the priest would reach in and pull out one of the stones. Ah, David, it's the yes stone. So perhaps it worked that way. We're not exactly sure. But the point here is that David goes and says, will Saul come to Keilah? And will they turn me over to Saul? And the answer is yes, to Saul. And yes, they'll turn you over to Saul. 
Now, we could be a little upset with Kila. David just rescued them. But don't forget, Kila knows what happened in Nob. And they know that if Saul comes to them and hears that they helped David or that David helped them, they were doomed. So God warns David, and David runs to the de- desert of Ziph. Desert of Ziph. And now while he's in Ziph, Saul finds out he's there. Saul chases him there. And as you read this chapter, it's just closer and closer and closer. David and Saul getting closer and closer to one another. One point, Saul's on one side of the mountain. David's on the other side of the mountain. And finally, we read in verse 26, as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David. Ah, foiled again. Missed David one more time. And you know what? Saul will never get David. Why won't he get David? Because God has a call on David's life. God said he's gonna be, David will be king. He will be king. Saul can get this close to him. And he's not going to not be king. Saul will never get David because God's word is true. God is faithful to what he says. God can be trusted. We can count on God's word. We have 66 books of the Bible that has one historic account after another historic account of truth of God's faithfulness over and over and over. Repeatedly, not once is there a time that God says something and it doesn't occur. God is true to his word. We have no reason to doubt it. So we don't have to doubt it when it says, if you confess my, if you confess your sins, I will be faithful to forgive your sins. We, we doubt that sometimes. Don't doubt it. God said it. He will forgive your sins. When he says that if you follow me, I will give you eternal life, that's, that's done. You're as good as done. God will give you eternal life. When he says, blessed are those who, who are persecuted for my sake and who receive insults because of me, for great is your reward in heaven. You know what? Your reward will be great in heaven. There's no doubt about it. God is faithful to his word. When he says, if you put my kingdom first, I will give everything else to you. Everything else is under my control and I'll take care of you. Can we trust him in that? Yes, why? Because he said it. If God says it, he will do it. We have no reason to ever doubt. God, another thing about God is that he desires to communicate his will to us. God isn't hiding his will from us. He's not trying to to make it mysterious for us or if you do just the right things, if you punch in just the right code on the machine, I'll give you my will. No, God is a communicating God. How did he create the earth, the world? with the word of his mouth. From the beginning, God has been communicating. Let me just briefly, stay with me, we're gonna just do a quick history of God communicating. Adam and Eve, God communicated by walking with them in the garden. Beautiful, intimate fellowship, walking together, conversing together. When Adam and Eve sinned, there became a a wedge, a a dividing wall between mankind and God. And from that point on, we see this this digression of God's communication. After that, he appeared to Abraham in in various one-time appearances. Same way to Jacob, Jacob hearing God's voice, but not walking with him as Adam and Eve did. Later on, Moses has a few supernatural events, the burning bush, 
We have the, the pillar of fire, God's guidance from the pillar of cloud. He also appeared to Moses. Moses got to see God, got to see the back of God. And then finally and, and ultimately, God gave Moses the written word. And from that point on, that's what we have, is we have the written word, the covenant with Israel. And the written word became primary in God's guidance for his people. After that, we have the prophets, and the prophets were, were basically expounding on the written word, building them up in the written word and, and interpreting the written word for the Israelites. And this carries all the way up until the New Testament. Do you know that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament 850 times? That's how important the written word was to the first believers in Christ. 850 quotes in the Old Testament. So the New Testament adds scripture to the scripture and then finally we are told that as believers we are given the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit dwells inside us. And now we're back to the intimacy. The very intimacy that, that Adam and Eve had. See, we're told that the Holy Spirit is our, our come alongside person. He's our advocate but we're also told that the Holy Spirit indwells those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We all want guidance. We all wanna know what is God's will. Do I marry this guy or that guy, if you have the choice? Do I take this career path or that? Do I sign up for the class with the hard teacher or with the nice teacher? Do I get Medicare part A or part B? What do I do? Lord, guide me. Don't you wish you had the, the Urim and the Thummim? Part B, there it is. We don't need it anymore. We have the Holy Spirit who interprets the word of God for us. See, the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is fully trustworthy and fully true. We can believe every word of it. And his Holy Spirit interprets the word for us. We no longer need prophets because the Holy Spirit is speaking to his followers. As we follow Christ in obedience, we get to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us and interpret the word for us. The Holy Spirit uses the word to teach, to correct, to reprove, and to train. The Holy Spirit speaks encouragement through the word to us. And the Holy Spirit gives us words to speak in those situations where we don't know what to speak. But here's the thing. We look at the two men that our passage was about today. Saul, presuming upon God, but never obeying. Assuming God is speaking, but never really following. And with each disobedience, God's voice gets softer and you hear less of God until finally he's not speaking anymore to Saul because Saul has closed his ears. David made some of the same mistakes Saul made, rash decisions, unwise decisions. But David kept learning from his mistakes, confessing, 
following the Lord, obedient, step by step. And with every step of obedience, he could hear the Lord speaking louder and clearer. Believers, obey. Obey. It's that simple. Follow the word of God. There's no question on so many things. There is no question. Now, I get like career path and stuff like that. We want guidance. But if you are following in obedience, you can count on God speaking to you. But if you're not obeying, don't expect to hear from him. If there's an area of your life that is not submitted to him that you're holding out on, that you're, you're, you're wanting to proceed in sin or proceed against what God would have for you, you're not going to hear from him. He won't speak because he speaks to those who are listening. And if you're listening, you will obey. Oh, the call to us today is to follow him in obedience that we may know his will for our lives and hear him. Oh, God will speak. He speaks through his word and his Holy Spirit uses his word to speak to you daily. Let's stand together now and let's seek the Lord for his guidance together. Oh God, how desperately we need to hear from you. For some of us, our ears are closed. It's been a while since we've stopped to listen. It's been a while since we've been in your word. A while since we've sought to inquire of you. Oh Lord, help us to take one step of obedience today, just one, and to listen. Oh Lord, for some of us, we're seeking you, but it's confusing. We don't often hear what you're doing. And I think even, even back to my vacation plans, Lord, what a, I didn't know if I missed something. But Lord, what I saw was your faithfulness. As we obey, Lord, you're, you're faithful. And you speak and you guide and you show us your word and you bring your word to us. Oh Lord, we want to be a people with open hearts and open ears and open eyes looking at the open word and open to your spirit. Lord, lead us and guide us by your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our guide and our God, amen. Now would you go in the guidance of the Holy Spirit because God desires to communicate to each and every one of you. Go listening today, listening to the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen.